take your Bibles, turn it to the seventh chapter of First Corinthians. <clears throat> we are looking at a, a text that actually begins in verses eight and concludes the thought what he's dealing with in verse sixteen. Our focus this day will be verses ten and eleven. We looked at eight and nine yesterday last Sunday. Uh, but I would like to uh, pray and then uh, read the context, 8 through 16, and um, see how the Lord leads us. Uh, Amanda, you could do me a favor and shut that door. Um, the fan is trying to exhaust air, and all I'm doing is pulling it off the hot asphalt and dragging it across. Uh, it ain't working. So... How would it come through the shady side of the building? <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, you are the king. And we know that every day, er, er, soon, Lord, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. And Father, we come today as children of the king and yet servants of the kingdom. And Father, I ask that you open our hearts to you this day, that you open our hearts to your word. And Father, that we would take it in and cherish it. That Father, we would take it in and understand that it is what we need for life. Father, you would instill in us an unquenchable thirst for your divine truth. Father, that it would no longer be us, but only you. Father, I ask that you teach now. Father, show me. Show me. Father, I just praise you for this day. I praise you for these precious, precious souls. And Father, I pray that even now you're doing a work in their lives. That they will rest in the assurance that you will do immeasurably more than they ever could think or imagine. To you and you alone, our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's read this, verses 8 through 16. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. But to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through the believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. 
but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? That's, this is amazing stuff because when I read this letter, I realize that this is one of Paul's first letters that he ever writes for the canonization of Scripture. And he's dealing with a church in the city of Corinth, which is very much similar to the cities that we live in today. Not a lot has changed. And what I've, I've called this message is divine counsel. And I laid it out simply because I only wanted to do one subtitle at a time because we need to hear this. The one that I dealt with last week was counsel to single Christians. Uh, and I shared with you uh, God's word on that and what's going on and how our society has perverted that. And, and it is coming through, a lot of it is coming through the church. He basically has four kinds of individual he deals with in 8 through 16. Okay, I guess if you wanted to call it to be four kinds of situations. But he starts chapter 7 dealing with some questions that the church in Corinth was asking. All right, the first one was marriage. What is marriage? Who should be married? Who should stay single? Should we all be single? What should we do? What happens if you have a blended marriage? That would be believer, unbeliever. What do you do with divorced people? What do you do with slaves who are married? All right. What is amazing is through chapters 1 through 6, he deals with the true underlying problem. Man's wisdom, man's philosophy. Then in chapter 7 through 11... He deals with four questions. Chapter 7 is marriage. He deals with food offered to idols, the role of women uh, in the church and the Lord's table. Those are the four questions that were posed to him. But now in chapter 7, we're at a point where he's dealing with um, four kinds of situations. Okay? But I need to deal with something. We have a little rabbit that I want to go hunt down and kill. Sorry. That's the way I feel about it. And the reason is, I have read some stuff from um, well-known authors, I guess, that um, is a little befuddling to me, to be honest with you. And the reason is, that they were befuddling to me is chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. And I've literally heard a couple of men say that 1 Corinthians chapter 7 should be disregarded as Scripture. Okay? And I'll tell you why they say that. Look at verse 12. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. What's the big deal with that? Look at verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion. All right, and then look at verse 40. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. I think that I also have the Spirit of God. What they, these people would say, um, this text 
gives its own disclaimer. It makes a statement where Paul has moved away from what the Spirit of God is saying and he interjects his opinion. Right? And he does use that term. The New American Standard translates it two times, opinion. Um, so what he's doing is moving from thus saith the Lord to thus saith Paul. Right? In light of that, we should just disregard chapter 7 and we'll pick up where he doesn't do that. And it's very interesting. I will concede this. Nowhere else in Holy Writ does this happen. Nowhere else does the author, the human author, say, this is what I think. Okay? Um, and so with the statement there uh, that he concludes, uh, I, I don't know, how, how goofy is this? But anyway, in, in the verse 40 where he says, I think I also have the Spirit of God. See, Paul's not sure whether he's really following the Spirit of God or if he's just writing okay so paul they say is mixing opinion with revelation and if you do that it's just best for the authority of scripture and the power of god to skip it hmm so i read this and i looked at this but to the rest verse 12 but to the rest i say not the lord if any man any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. Uh, is he saying there that what I'm saying now isn't that important? Have you ever seen red letter Bibles? The red, oh, well, we've all seen red letter Bibles. Have you ever watched people with those? The red letter is more important. Why do we do that? Well, it's quotes of Christ. Okay. Um, but I think if you really are honest to what the holy book is doing, what you're getting there is new truth. He's not quoting Christ. He's not quoting something from the gospel record. He is something, he's not quoting something that we have verbatim that the Lord has said. And I believe that I can defend this very simply with holy scripture. Okay. Verse 10, he says, I'll show you how this works. But to the married, I give instructions. Then look what he says. Not I, but the Lord. Okay? And then he quotes the Lord's very words. He quotes Mark chapter 10, verse 11. He quotes Matthew verse chapter 5, verse 32. He quotes Matthew 19, 3 through 9. Luke 16, verse 18 are all quoted in that, that little statement there um, that a wife should not leave her husband. Okay? Uh, if your book says divorce, it's the same word. Put away is the literal Greek translation and it means to put someone away. All right? So, you know, when I look at the scripture, I ask myself, who's, who gives me this instruction? Paul or the Lord? Okay. When he says it's not the Lord, but I, what you have there is that I am no longer quoting the Lord. All right. I'm not saying it doesn't matter what I say. I'm not saying that what I'm giving you is human 
wisdom or human opinion. Simply, I am saying, I'm quoting the Lord. Sometimes I'm not quoting the Lord. We use the statement. Um, sometimes I'll read a text and I'll, or a book or something from a different author, and I'll say, quote, and then they said something, unquote. This is similar to what the Apostle Paul is doing. Okay? Now then, do you feel like I just jump a quantum leap? Well, if you do, then turn with me to Acts chapter 2. If you think that I just interjected something there that doesn't seem to fit, because he makes the statement simply, right? Not I, but the Lord says this. And then the other verses I shared with you, uh, 12, 25, and 40, he says, the Lord does not say this, I say this. Verse 40 2 of Acts chapter 2. This is the birth of the church. And this is what the church was doing. They were continually devoting themselves to the, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Whose teaching were they following? You know what is being said here? that the words of Paul are equal to the words of Christ in the terms of Revelation. Okay? I have more. Turn with me to Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Um, verses 16 through 21. I, I, I need to deal with this. It's ironic. I would like to tell you that me and Tom get together and explain. Tom knows what scripture that I want read before opening of the service and all the rest of it. But uh, we don't. And yet if I had to pick a text, uh, it would have come out of either Psalm 19 or Psalm 119 for what I was going to deal with this Lord's Day. So um, what a cool God. Okay. I need to ask you all a question. I did this in my Sunday school class today. All right? Sunday school class. How many hours do we have in a week? 168 hours. If I read my Bible one hour a day, how many hours a week would I read it? How, what would I be doing with the rest of the time? That's what they were confessing, parents, if you were just curious. They were thinking that, you know, they thought sitting down and reading their Bible for an hour would be a lot. That's seven hours. Okay, out of a possibility of, okay, that's not even tithing. <laughs> okay, just in case you're trying to do the math. All right, how important is Scripture to us today? I don't answer that. Um, some of you I know. All right. Look at verse 16. I want to show you what Peter says. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then look what he says. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now stop right there. You know what he's referring to there? That's what you and I know as the, the transfiguration. Where he pulled back his humanity... Remember, and Moses and Elijah, they're talking, and Peter, we need to build an altar and we just stay here, okay? Which, you know, at least Peter had something to say. I was silly walking around going, uh, 
All right. But he pulled back his humanity and thus revealed who he was. All right. And he says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He says, I want you to understand something. We didn't sit around and think this up. All right. We, we seen something. We had whoa experience going down. But look what he says. Verse 17, for when we received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Okay, then look what he said. Now this is when God has got these three guys standing down here with their mouths wide open thinking, uh uh-oh. And then they start hearing God talk. This is my son. We ourselves, verse 18, heard this utterance made from the heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay, now let me explain something to you here in case you're just missing this. That is a life-changing event. Okay, this is before the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is before the birth of the church. And this is the one that got the boy out of the boat to walk on water to the king. All right? You got to grab a hold of that. Peter is just, oh, oh. All right, so do you understand that Peter is saying, let me explain this to you when it comes to experience. Look at verse 19. Look what he contrasts, verse 19, is a contrast to what he gives you in 6, 17, and 18. Look what he says. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning stars arise in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You know what he just did there? He says, to see Jesus Christ stand on a holy mount, pull back his humanity, and reveal okay, who he is. And to hear God's voice speak from the heaven isn't as good as Holy Scripture. Interesting concept. Being that we have a large society seeking experience. Okay, now you say, but what's that got to do with Paul? giving his opinion. Same book, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Okay, so you understand where Paul lifts Scripture. Paul, or Peter, Peter lifted Scripture. He said, I saw Christ and heard God. And I lift Scripture above that. Okay? Look what he says now in verse 14. Therefore, beloved... Since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patient of our, of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother 
Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which are untaught and and which the untaught and the unstable distort as they do with the rest of what? What did he just do there? He says, Paul's writings are equal to... What did he say? Scripture, and Scripture is above witnessing the majesty of Jesus Christ and hearing the voice of God. Sounds good to me. Same level of inspiration. There's nothing different. Okay? One last text I want us to look at. And I get back to cancel the married Christians married to Christians. Okay? The, whoops, I don't want to go to Malachi yet. Um, Matthew 13 is an interesting text. And, and I, I would like, man, I just, amazing what the, the Lord, you know, I taught this book years ago and just amazing. I don't know, maybe I didn't miss it. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Matthew 13 verses 51 and 52. He's teaching in parables. Okay, uh, this is f- just fascinating to me. It's interesting. At verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet and cast into the sea and the gathering of fish of every kind. And, it, and, and when it is filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and they gathered the good fish into containers and the bad ones they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and they will take the wicked from among the righteous and they will throw them in the furnace of fire. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's cool, right? We all, that's a gospel message. That's it, man. That's, bam, bam, that's it right there. But look what he says. Have you understood all these things? Okay, now, he's, now you have to understand. He's moved to a position in his ministry where he's now, instead of just straightforward claiming to be Messiah, he's teaching in parables, riddles. Okay, the riddles. And if he doesn't explain the parable, they can be anything you want it to be. But what he would do is he would teach in a parable, he would withdraw from the crowd, and he would explain it to his disciples, the the twelve. And that's what he's in the process of doing now. He's got the twelve gathered around. He's been teaching in these illustrations of life, things going on in life. So he can kind of look at this stuff and say, you know, they, you know, Peter would know what fishing was about and casting out a net and catching a whole bunch of fish. And when you draw the fish in, some of them are just old nasty fish uh, suckers and some of them are good good fish and some of them, you know, little fish, big fish and all the rest of it. But look what he says. Have you understood these things? What was their answer? Yep. <laughs> you got to ask yourself, did they really? <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, if, if you're sitting in a class today and the teacher asks you, do you understand that? What's your response? Yep. And you may not have a clue what the teacher said, but oh, yeah. Anyway, I, that just, you know, it said, yes. Here's what Jesus' response to them is. This is amazing stuff. Now, who's here? We have the disciples. Jesus said to them, therefore, what? What is a scribe? No. Scribe is a very specific person in the Jewish community. What did he do? 
He wrote Holy Writ. That's it. I mean, you didn't go down. We get a Bible and we wear it out. We just go to the Bible store and buy another one, right? Well, they couldn't do that. If I needed, my Bible started wearing out, where did I have to go? To the scribe, and he would translate another copy, bring it to me, and then I would have a Bible. What did he just call the disciples? What's he talking about? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. Who's he talking to? The disciples. And Jesus said to them, therefore what? Every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of the household who brings out his treasured things. He brings out what kind of treasured things? He brings out and old ones. What did Jesus do there? What did Jesus Christ just do there? They would be writers of Scripture. And if you look at the writers of Scripture, you will find that they have written old things. But they have also written new things. One of those men in that group is Peter. And Peter says, Paul's writings are Scripture. Okay? 1 Corinthians 7 is an illustration of this. The practical side of marriage, he quotes from the Lord. It's for, for basic theological principles. But then he goes on to speak new truth on how does it become practical. And I need to bring you back to what happens in the church as far as marriage. In the time of the letter to the Corinthian church, there's four basic ways to end up married. Okay, one is uh, tent companionship. If you're slaves, uh, a male and a female slave would want to come together, become man and wife, and the... Uh, they would go to the master, and the master would grant, grant them the privilege to be man and wife, to live together. Uh, another way was common law. If you lived, by, lived together for a year, you would become legally, if you wanted to claim that in the Roman Empire, you could claim yourselves as man and woman. The other kind of marriage was arranged, financial marriage, where a father would make a financial arrangement uh, with another family uh, for a daughter. And then the Fourth one was what is called the noble wedding. Uh, and the noble wedding is basically what you see is our uh, wedding services that take place uh, in America today where you give the vows and flowers and cake and veils and all the rest of it. Okay? That's what he's dealing with. That's what the church was made of. You know what I find fascinating about this? Nowhere in Scripture does he address the how of marriage, does he? I can't find it. I can't, you know, even the Jews have a seven-day marriage. Okay? And, you know, everybody just comes and lives together for seven days. And who? Who thought that up? But, uh, you know, I just, uh, you know, if somebody wants to do that, go ahead and knock yourself out. I'm not. I'm going with the financial arrangement. Okay? I just, sorry. 
but it's stuff like that. He nowhere in scripture does it doesn't say, well, how do you get married? Did you take a vow before God? Did you do da 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 and that doesn't deal with it? He deals with you, here you are right now. Here's what you do. Okay? He's just come out of eight and nine to the unmarried and to the widows. If you don't have self-control, probably better to get married. Okay? If you don't have self-discipline, if you haven't guarded yourself, if you've not kind of got a cap on the thing, probably ought to get married. All right? But he says, God has given some, uh, and it's the word charisma. There is a charisma from God. You you know these things. We're going to deal with it in chapter 12, 13, and 14 on the quote-unquote spiritual gifts. The word spiritual is not in the text. Charisma is the gifts of God. All right? But if you go through the list of spiritual gifts, has anybody here ever heard the spiritual gift of singleness? No, but it's listed. You just have to read it early. It's in chapter 7. But if you're buying into that Paul's giving an opinion, you won't read that. We have a mentality that says if you're single, you're a certain age, then you need to what? But what if God has gifted them for singleness? You're now wanting to take a sheep, a lamb, a child of God and move it out of the will of God. I don't think that's a good plan. Even the Apostle Paul says, you're better off just to stay here. And he'll even give you an illustration that says, why? Because I would spare you trouble. And I'll deal with that text when I get to it. That'll be the week that my wife's not here. Okay, because you don't deal with trouble in your marriage unless it's just one of you. But that's, I'll deal with that when I, well, maybe not. Lord, come quickly. But it's, it's stuff like that we've got to pay attention to. We have a mentality that says, you're at a certain age, you need to marry. But what if God says no? Well, I see some marriages times that I think that people got married too soon. Too soon. They keep telling me the first 25 years are the hardest. Anyway, um, now I want to move to the next one. It's a second group. It's Christians that are married to Christians. And I would look around and say that the majority of us in this day are, are in that, that slot. Okay? It's not mixed marriages. Verse 12 is the mixed marriages. That says, but to the rest, I say. Okay, again, keep in mind, the Apostle Paul doesn't get into how did you end up married? What Were you tent companions? Uh, did you live together for a year? Was it a financial arrangement? He's basically, the issue is stay where you are. Now grab that for a second. Think about what he just said. He's dealing with the single and he would have them do what? Stay as you are. With the married, he says, stay as you are. And then he deals with the widow there, which is a it's new, uh, gender neutral in the Greek. So it's widow or widower. And he tells them to do what? Come on, you guys were confident in the first two. Stay as you are. There you go. All right. I knew you got to Is that really say? Okay. Here's what he says. But to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord. That the wife should not leave her husband. Well, duh. Okay. 
So if you want to be really emphatic about it, you can go to your red letter Bible and you'll find out in Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19.9, Mark 10.11 and 12. Um, all three texts says the Lord says, stay married. Okay, if the Lord says it, then what is he saying? It's a command. It's not an option. It's non-negotiable. Stay married. Uh, and the literal language is let not the wife depart. Okay, that's the technical term for divorce. Okay, when I read this, now, when I read this, why would two Christians want a divorce? All right? I mean, I, well, maybe I'm wrong. You guys may have another question you're asked. My question is, why do we deal with this? If you have two Christians, why would you want a divorce? Well, the Apostle Paul said, I would have you stay as I am. They were struggling greatly with uh, celibacy, staying single. Why? Because you are of more value to God single? Well, we have people who promote that today. That you're more valuable. We have other people who will pr promote that you're more valuable if you're married. See, once you become a Christian, don't I need to drop the temporal stuff? You know, I, I need to devote to Christ, don't I? I mean, I just got to give this thing, you know, what a sacrifice. Why don't we divorce? You go your way, I'll go my way, and we'll both be devoted to the things of God, and we can be living sacrifices, and what a blessed testimony that would be to the king. Now, you may think that I, that's kind of weird, and how did I just come up with that idea? Yes, I've read some of the historical writings from Corinth and what was going on in Corinth. But you know what's amazing to me? I dealt with two situations this week, this way. Four Christians wanting to divorce to devote themselves to what the king was doing. And all I can think of is, Lord, anybody read the book? What is this? We carry it around and what? Or we only, ah, oh, you believe chapter 7 is opinion. But it says here, not I, but the Lord. So, yeah, it is opinion. Christ's opinion. All right, and, and I need to share with you the Italian prophet. Chapter 2, verse 16. Malachi. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts, shall take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. And treacherously there is, that, that whole context is, Dealing treacherously with your wife. And Israel was getting into this phenomenon where they were divorcing their wives. He calls them the, the, the wife of your youth. And they were marrying Egyptians and Babylonians and all the rest of it. And basically he says, you're marrying women of other gods. Uh, and he's kind of ticked off about it. Not only that, he condemned Israel for it. You are treacherously dealing with your wife of your... Uh, Youth, and you know what? Some of the Corinthians had already done that. 
Why? There's an assumption that shows up in verse 11. But if she does leave, you know what that means? Some of you have already done it. It's obvious some of you have already done it, or I wouldn't have to be writing this letter to deal with your question. Okay? You know, I, I was just, man, I, I just pondered this as I was looking at it, and I thought, two Christians decide to get divorced for spiritual reasons. Because that's basically what they're trying to do. You know, I need to minister in such and such country, and he wants to minister in such and such country. Why don't we be true examples of living sacrifice, and he can go to China, and I'll go to Africa. But we'll divorce, and therefore we'll show the world what a testimony of a great and glorious God. Okay, now if that was in scriptures, and this is what I thought, if this is truly in scripture, how many would use that excuse? We're divorcing for spiritual reasons. Strange, isn't it? I want to show you something. If you're going to divorce for spiritual reasons, fine. You have two choices. As you have two Christians and they choose to divorce. You have two things you can do. No problem, all right? Verse 11. She must remain unmarried. Okay? If you're going to divorce, you better be praying real hard for the gift of celibacy. Okay? Or what? Be reconciled to the man. And the husband should not divorce his wife, and that would go for him too. It doesn't mean that men can divorce their, their Christian wives and, and go on. This is vice versa here. All right? Here's the two decisions. If you have, verse 11, but if she does, meaning that maybe the mail was running slow and your divorce papers came through before you got my letter, okay, what do you do? Stay single. Or you come back together. All right, now then, I've got to give you another footnote. I give you, another, I give you one footnote on why Paul wrote this and why we should heed it. And the other footnote is, is that Paul here is not dealing with the case of adultery. Okay? That is not Paul's discussion in this text. In the case of the adultery, divorce was allowed among Christians. Okay? Where one Christian commits an adulterous act God allows the breaking of that marriage bond. Okay? And I'll give you the red letter Bible version of it. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Verse 32 says this. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of adultery and chastity, makes her commit adultery, and whoever makes and marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So basically what he's saying, men, regardless of where you want to be or what you think you want to do, you are the spiritual leader of the home. There are responsibilities that go with leadership. Should your wife, should you divorce your wife except for adultery, you are responsible for the fact that you have just made her commit adultery. Okay, that's the text. All right? Whoever puts away his wife except for the cause of Sexual sin, all right, causes her to commit adultery. In Matthew nineteen nine, he says the same thing. I won't deal that with that one. Now then, I want to give you a little caveat to the footnote. 
Okay? I have dealt with situations in the past where they will come to me in my office and say, on what grounds may a Christian divorce? Okay? Now, let me explain something to you about that statement. They're looking for permission. Please give me permission. Okay? There is permission. All right? But I always refer him to Hosea. Okay, because marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Marriage is a picture of God giving His Son the greatest expression of His love that He could do, and He gave her His Son a bride. And the Son's love for the Father is so massive, so overwhelming, that He wishes to present His bride back to the Father. All right? That's cool. That's what our earthly marriages look like. All right? But keep this in mind. I have dealt with people who believe if I withhold physical relations with my spouse, what will they do? Give you three guesses. First two don't count. There's only one option. They will commit Adultery, therefore I will be free of this marriage. Back to verse 3 through 5 of chapter 7, it says, The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another. Okay? Basically, when you come together... In the the vows or however you came together, you come together in marriage and say, I no longer have authority over myself. My spouse does. And my spouse no longer has authority over her. I do. Okay? That sure does change the wedding vows, doesn't it? But my part of the body wants to go fishing and she wants me to garden. I'll use Jesus' phrase. You've been bought and paid for with a price. <laughs> you are not your own. <laughs> okay? My wife doesn't ask me to garden. I have the spiritual gift of killing plants. So she's, she's I, you know, every time I watch her plants, they just look at me and they just uh, die. So she says, I don't want you to help me. And, and I'm such a wonderful fisherman. She doesn't go because I'm not taking her. <laughs> Because I hate it when everybody else catches fish and I stand there. Okay? The only ground that the Lord ever gave up for breaking and dissolving a marriage is sexual immorality. Okay? When that occurs, there's a right. And I want to use the term right because, you know, I just thought about this. Let's see if I can find this. Bear with me, bear with me. It's got to be like in... uh... Yep. We all know this guy, Matthew chapter 1. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. This is after he finds out Mary's pregnant. Okay, He wants to put her away secretly. Okay, an Interesting verse, don't you think? <clears throat> but when he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Mary is your wife and the child... Uh, for the child 
who has been uh, conceived in her is the child of the Holy Spirit. And if I was Joseph, I'd quit drinking. Okay, she will bear you a son, and you will call his name Jesus. All right, Joseph woke from his sleep and did as the angel commanded and took Mary as his wife. All right, I want you to think about something there. It says Joseph was a righteous man. It literally means just, just. You know what it means? He was in all rights to what? Put her away. Put her away. All right, so now I'll go back to your chapter 7, and it says there what? Don't leave your husband. Don't leave your wife. Okay? All right, the issue of adultery is not on the table. Okay, to the Corinthians, if you've done it already, you have to stay single or... Be reconciled to your spouse, to the one that you have separated from. Okay? In the case of true obedience, they would reconcile, wouldn't they? I mean, true obedience, God's word says, and I go and do. Why? Because he loves me. He led me, he showed me, and I think this is perfect. Okay? Verse 11 again, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried. Must remain unmarried. So, to the married, counsel to Christians married to Christians is the same as counsel to single Christians. What is it? Stay the way you are. Stay the way you are. Oh yeah, you who are married, you must fulfill every part and every aspect of your marriage. That would be the spiritual and the physical. Okay? The woman is to be cherished and nourished, and I should want to present my wife as a virgin, a precious bride, holy and pure before God, and I do that how? Washing of the Word. Okay? And in the physical aspect, my body is not my own. It is hers. Okay? And... um, I'll close with this. It is our responsibilities as children of God to fulfill it to its limits. All right? Counsel to the Christians who are married to Christians. Stay the way you are. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word. Lord, uh, just amazing. The simplicity and the power and the authority of your scriptures. Father, let us cherish it. Let us grab it. Let us embrace it. Let us rejoice at what you're doing. And Father, may we give you the praise and glory. Father, we who are married, may it be a true picture of Christ and his bride. And may we understand that that glory and exaltation comes from you and you alone. Father, those who are single this day, Father, let them cherish that time. Let them rest upon the assurance and confidence that you are doing immeasurably more than they ever dreamed. Father, let them embrace a precious gift from you who have spoken existence into being. Father, may they be used beyond their understanding. Father, to those who are married to unbelievers, Father, may your word even now prepare their hearts to hear from you, but Lord, may you give them the same patience that was shown them to their salvation and the same mercy 
Father, may that spouse who is saved only grow brighter and brighter in his or her representation of the Lord of hosts. To you and you alone, our King, we thank you and we praise you in Christ. Amen.